don't even no. they don't even know I'll come anything. Come here every yet. Sunday. That's, That's nice. great. <laughs> um, so yeah, Vermon is helping us out. He got the call. When was that? Like two, three o'clock. Two, three o'clock <laughs> yesterday. So, and uh, but but graciously agreed to, to fill in for Tyler, who's like I said, not feeling well. Um, Vermont pastors a church in Central Phoenix called Roosevelt Community Church. How long have you been pastor there? Uh, pastor there about ten years. So it's great. Been a bit. In in the cross streets. Uh, Roosevelt and First Street. So it's located on Roosevelt Row. Those of you familiar with downtown Phoenix, uh, sort of right uh, in the middle there, a couple blocks north of the stadiums. Right, and they are a, they are a friend of, of Redemption Church, uh, deeply not just personally but yeah. also as a church. Uh, we've we've partnered together on a lot of things. Uh, we do a lot of leadership development and training together. We also have uh, partnered with the Adoption and Foster Care Initiative, which so many of you have actually given to generously with time and financially. Uh, so Vermont might even talk a little bit about that. But um, talk a little bit about just kind of your well. Let's start with your family. So yeah. we've got a picture of, of his family up there. There's the family. Yes, we love we love big families here. You, you guys have four kids. <laughs> yes, we do. And sometimes you have more kids hanging out. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. So we uh, we're very much involved in foster care and adoption. Um, our first two children we fostered and then adopted and had our next two biological and then but then kept fostering. So we've had a number of different. Uh, uh, babies and teens in our home, and they, they still find their way back in even after they've been with us for a little while. We usually have a lot of kids with us on the weekend. It's a great uh, ministry the Lord has uh, given us, and we're thankful, thankful to be involved with that. Super cool. Introduce us to Danae a little bit. Uh, so Danae, my wife, she is, uh, well, she was executive director of a nonprofit called Foster Care Initiatives, which works with different churches to help uh, raise awareness uh, related to, you might say, orphan care in general. So promoting foster care and adoption, but also helping families that have kids in the system stay together, which is really a, a primary uh, emphasis that she's, I think, brought to the conversation. Uh, but she's now moving into being the executive director of Surge, and so this is the network uh, that uh, Redemption and many churches like ours are part of, and, uh, but still being involved with foster care and adoption as well. So a busy lady. Yeah, so su- super cool. Um, tell us a little bit about how you ended up going into ministry. So you've been, you've been serving as the pastor of Roosevelt for 10 years. Yep. Uh, how'd you get to that point? Yeah, I often tell people, uh, being a pastor, I call it the, the sweet burden of being a pastor in the sense that I, uh, I enjoy it. I can't imagine myself doing anything but that at this point in my life. Uh, uh, it's been a great blessing. At the same time, uh, it's a burden in the sense that I really did try to do other stuff. I, uh, you know, I've in college, I thought to myself, uh, you know, I'm going to go and be uh, a doctor. And then for a little while, I'm like, I, I, I failed organic chemistry. So I said, this is not going to work. So we, we decided I was going to go to law school and, and uh, worked as a paralegal for a year after college. Um, and, and yet that didn't work very well either. I thought, you know, this, is, this isn't something I want to be doing. And the Lord really just kept putting on my heart. You know, it's, it's really ministry. And people kept on uh, different people who knew me would say, you, know, you really should consider uh, going into uh, pastoral ministry. And so, um, so, yeah, so I eventually listened to the Lord and decided to do it, and it's been, uh, it's been really good. It's been a blessing ever since. Very cool. Another organization you work with is the Gospel Coalition. Yes. Ramon just uh, wrote some curriculum, a book that's going to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about that. That's cool. Uh, this yeah. is kind of pastor nerdy stuff, but I love this kind <laughs> of stuff. So. so, yeah, I got asked to write um, one part of a sort of a 
five, part, uh, five, five sets of curriculum based on different values that the Gospel Coalition has. So those of you familiar with the Gospel Coalition, they have a theological statement of ministry and a number of different values in there are things like uh, uh, worship and evangelism uh, and uh, justice and uh, work. So there's things that they think should shape uh, church communities. And so what they asked me to write on is the church as a countercultural community. And so my book, you might say, is called Gospel Shaped Living. Cool. And so it will be a DVD and a set of uh, workbooks and other things that churches can use to, uh, to work through that, uh, that particular value. That's great. Well, we're so blessed to have you. We thank you a lot for stepping in last minute because otherwise I would have had to lead worship and do <laughs> announcements and preach a message. And no, no one wants that much, Matthew in uh, such a short period of time. So, uh, so thank you. One of the things that really is so cool about what God's doing in the church uh, in Phoenix is that there's a lot of um, churches that aren't necessarily the same organization or 501c3, whatever, but, but there's a lot of unity just around the gospel and around the things that really matter. And you'll, you'll hear that. You'll hear that when, as Vermont shares here in just a moment. So um, let me pray. I want to pray for you. And I also want to pray for Tyler, who's trying to figure out how to, how to get healthy right yeah. now. So let's, let's all pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, we thank you for um, the gospel, which unites us, uh, even across churches. And uh, God, we're grateful for Vermont and his willingness to, to come in and, and bring this word uh, to us. Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak, God, that you would open our ears to hear this word from you and that you would apply it to our lives. God, give us strength. Um, encourage our hearts, and God, uh, bless him, and we, we, we just thank you for, uh, for these, these partnerships. They're such an evidence of, of your grace and love in our lives, so God, we're grateful. Pray for Tyler. Pray that you would um, heal him up, give the doctors wisdom, give them answers, and uh, God, bring him to, to full health, we pray, uh, and do that soon. We, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you all for the, the warm welcome. It's, uh, I'm, uh, I live in downtown Phoenix, and so uh, driving uh, 10 minutes any direction seems really far to me. <laughs> so 45 minutes later when I got here, I thought, wow, I have... I have traveled today, <laughs> and uh, it's, been, it's been good. I, I've, this is my second time being here at this uh, church I had a chance to, to visit a couple months ago, and uh, you, this is a great church. I think uh, many of you hopefully know that, and really blessed to, to be here, and, and, and thankful for the opportunity. I have to admit, when, when Tyler 
called me and said, uh, uh, you know, would you be able to preach? I told him, yeah, I might be available. I'm, I happen not to be preaching this, this Sunday at Roosevelt, obviously. Um, I didn't realize it's three sermons, three, Sunday, three services. I think uh, I, you know, I was like really proud of myself. I'm stepping in and then like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Did not realize that uh, that would be the case. But uh, really, then all the better to be able to get a chance to, to meet uh, all of you, many of you, and, uh, and have the opportunity especially to go into God's word together, which is uh, why we're here. So let me pray for us and then uh, we'll get started, all right? <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and as always, I just pray that my words uh, would be your words, um, that you would move any distraction, um, that you'd begin to clear away uh, confusion and doubt uh, and cynicism. Whatever we, we've brought into this room, I pray you'd clear that away and speak to where people are at right now, um, that uh, your words would penetrate into our, our deepest hearts and, and address our desires, our wants, our needs, our concerns in a way that would transform us. Um, do miraculous work, Lord, this morning. Do the kind of thing that shows that uh, you are indeed Lord and God and Savior. Save lives this morning. Save them to the uttermost, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, I remember clearly one of my first experiences with clay. I was in kindergarten. The kindergarten teacher comes out with this amazing substance called clay that you can make anything with, right? It is great stuff. And so as a kindergartner, what I was really excited about doing was making pretzels. For some reason, the idea of making pretzels with clay seemed really cool. And so I did that. I made a bunch of pretzels. And it was, it was great, so all these pretzel-shaped clays. Uh, unfortunately, the kindergarten teacher then said, all right, our, our time with clay is done. We're, we're going to go on to the next activity. And in my mind, I thought, well, I'm not done with it. I want to keep making clay pretzels. And so I, I took a chunk of the clay and put it in my pocket, and I said, I'm going to bring this home so I can make more clay, more clay pretzels. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't realize that uh, doing that, you can't keep clay in your pocket all day. When I got home, the clay was dry and brittle, and I had to come up with an explanation for my mom why I had dry clay in my pocket. Uh, what I wanted to do was make clay pretzels. That's what served me. That's, that's what I wanted. I, I saw something, I took it, and I wanted to do it. And what I'm talking about is, is something, I think many of us, we have similar stories from our childhood, I imagine. At the very least, if you see a group of kids together, especially toddlers together, and you give them a limited set of toys and limited time, you see in bold colors something that is true for humanity in general. I'm not saying anything I think you'd be shocked for me to say, which is that Human beings are, are naturally selfish. Uh, we, we naturally think of the things that we, we see as things that, that we want, if we see them as beneficial to us. We see it, we want it, if we think it's gonna benefit us, and we, we take it for ourselves. Human beings are, are naturally tend to have a natural tendency towards selfishness. Now, the reality is, we get more sophisticated and more subtle with these things as we get older. With kids, it's, it's bolder, it's easier to see, it's in bold colors. We just get a little bit more sophisticated with these things. Uh, it's still there, but it just looks different. We use different words for it. We think of things that are owed to us. We think of certain things that we deserve. I put in the time, I put in the money, I put in the energy, I deserve this. We, we talk about certain things that are our rights. I have a right to this. I've earned this, I have a right to it. Um, 
So, and this looks like in all sorts of different ways. It may be, it's money that you have that you think, uh, I wanna be able to use it to buy some things for myself. Maybe it's clothes for myself so that I, I can be, get as, just as much attention as that classmate, as that coworker, right? Something that's beneficial to myself. Maybe it's, um, it's, it's, it's time that you have over the weekend that you have reserved for yourself and you're eager to have for yourself and someone needs help with a project but you don't want to really do that. <laughs> you want that time for yourself. You've reserved that time for yourself. And so you find a way not to help out with that, to avoid that, to make sure your cell phone is off, right? So you can have that time for yourself. As I said, those are, those are some examples, maybe more obvious ones. I think there's some others that are, are actually also examples, not as obvious, but direct examples of how we, we tend to think of ourselves. Uh, it happens even in, you might say, the, the good things that we do. So you, you give time or money to a charity, but you're, you're a little upset if you don't get attention for it. You don't get credit for it. You don't get that letter mentioning that you did well and we acknowledge you, right? Because that's the benefit that you want. That's the service that you want for yourself. Um, maybe it's, it's you wanting to make sure a certain chore gets done, and, but you don't want to do it, right? That, that compromises your convenience, and so you want to make sure you sort of offhand mention it to your spouse, make sure they, they get it done, right, before you get home. Uh, all sorts of different ways, isn't it? Where we think of ourselves, uh, where we think of what can benefit ourselves. Selfishness is a natural pattern to our world. And so that's what we have in this passage with Jesus, I think, is, is, is something that, that confronts us. It's startling in a lot of ways, that Jesus looks at this world that, that is selfish, that is, you might say, self-seeking, is, a, is another way of thinking about this. We, we seek for ourselves, and Jesus is gonna give us a different example. In our passage this morning, I, see, I want us to see how Jesus is calling those who are gonna follow him, Christians are those who follow Jesus, he's gonna call us to self-sacrifice. That the church is meant to be a self-sacrificing community of people, in contrast to a world that's self-seeking. So let's, let's look at these verses. Matthew chapter 20, starting in, in verse 20. And the, the setup for these, uh, sort of sum up these first couple verses, is the mother of two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, comes to Jesus to ask for a favor, right? They have a, a, a big ask, and so they send their mama over to Jesus because mama always be looking out for her babies, right? And so mama comes, and they think she might have an in, a way of, of communicating what they really want from Jesus. And what do they want? Uh, we're told here they want the highest place. They want to be at the right hand, the right and left hand of Jesus in his kingdom. They're saying, we believe, Jesus, one day you're going to rule over everything, and we want to we be there. We want that top spot. You know, it, it, looking at this, you can imagine Jesus, right? I always just imagine Jesus sometimes. In the, when we read in the Bible, different things he's saying, I like to imagine what maybe what his facial expression was. I imagine he just sort of had to smile a little bit, maybe a slight smirk <laughs> and shake his head and say, man, these guys, man, they don't get it. Um, you see his response in verses 22 to 23, and, and it's, to sum up, I mean, it's different definitely from what they're expecting, isn't it? I mean, they're expecting, look, we signed on from the beginning, right? We were part of the first crew, right? We were some of the first employees part of, of, of the Jesus business. And so there, there should be some privileges here. All right, some, some, some things we get. And one of those things is to, to have a high place in your kingdom, to have a high place in the company, right? Uh, and Jesus says, well, you're, you have something coming towards you, but it's, 
It's, it's gonna be sharing the same thing that I'm sharing, which is a cup of suffering. That, that is what you're gonna be experiencing. That is what's gonna come alongside with you. And so he's redirecting them a little bit here, a lot, I should say, in terms of what they think they should be getting. But of course, what's happened here gets out. The other guys, the other followers of Jesus, the other disciples hear about this. We're told in verse 24, they were indignant at the two brothers, right? In other words, they're upset, and no surprise. I mean, James and John beat them to the punch, and they brought in the heavy guns. They brought in Mama, right, to help ask Jesus for this. So they're upset because they, they want the same thing. They're thinking of themselves. We've invested in Jesus. We want something back. And so it's at this point, Jesus does um, what I'm going to call sort of almost a cultural analysis here. And this is sort of getting at the heart of what we want to consider this morning. Um, Jesus analyzes the world and helps us understand sort of how the world is oriented. It's a self-seeking world. And then he's going to help us see how those who want to say they follow Jesus stand in contrast to this. How in contrast to this selfish world, followers of Jesus I'm going to be known for their sacrifice. So, but let's first, let's first consider that part, the, the analysis of Jesus, the fact that the world is a self-serving world. This is Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus describes it this way. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So Jesus is saying greatness in this world is is shown by the ability to have power, have authority, and to exercise that authority. And this is true, it's true back then, it's true today. Look at some of our popular media, some of the popular movies that are out there, and what do they show? They show a lot of times that the hero of the story is someone who has power and authority and is able to exercise it. He's able to use it. Use it really for the benefit. So if I could put this another way, I think what, what Jesus is saying here is that the world values your ability to successfully serve yourself, to use whatever you have to lord it over other people. In other words, to, to gain control of your circumstances in a way that benefits you, that, that, that brings good things for you, that the world's gonna applaud when you, in answer to that question, did you get what you want, you can say, I got what I wanted. <laughs> I got what I wanted. When it was, uh, maybe it's a particular situation, a particular person, a particular thing, you can look at it and say, I got exactly what I wanted, and especially, I got what I wanted in a way that was convenient to me and comfortable to me, easy for me even. It's your ability to lord it over your life, to, to get the things that you wanted, to exercise authority over your life in a way that benefits yourself, that serves yourself. That is considered greatness, good leadership in, in our culture, in our world. You know, I've, I've never flown first class, and I admit I, I want to one day, so I read a lot of advertisements to help me imagine what it'd be like. And so as I read different advertisements of what it's like to fly first class, uh, one of the ones that stands out and I think is universally recognized as one of the top experiences of being first class in our world is Virgin America, right? I mean, if you haven't read it, it's worth reading. It's, it's, it's amazing <laughs> what you get, right? This is built as one of the most luxurious experiences you can have. Um, I mean, you, you are not sitting squeezed in with uh, you know, all these other people and it's someone pushing their seat back. That's a huge pet peeve of mine, someone pushing their seat back right in front of you, right? No, you've got your own private pod, 
right? And you have the ability to, to put your seat all the way back. It's fully reclinable, so you can have a, a bed right there, flying in the air, right? You have massage functions on your chair. Uh, you've got on-demand Wi-Fi. You've got on-demand satellite TV. You've got on-demand food and drinks. I mean, you have the, the epitome, the, the high point of luxury and comfort. And you know, as, as I'm reading that advertisement, I, in a lot of ways, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good illustration for, for the values of our world. In other words, I think that that, that that advertisement is appealing because it speaks the language of our culture. I mean, just use that as a, sort of as a metaphor for how we think about life, or, or maybe how you think about relationships. Think about how we tend to think about relationships. We want relationships, our culture teaches us to want relationships with little to no commitment, or at least just as much as commitment as is beneficial to us. No commitment that sort of binds us in any way. And we're willing to, to be on board with it to whatever degree the relationship is as fully reclinable as possible. Right? It goes to the degree in which you want it to go. We want things to be on demand. I want my, the, the relationships, I want my life in general to come to me in the ways that I want it to come to me. I don't want it to come to me in a way that's uncomfortable, that's inconvenient. No, I want it to go in the directions that I want it to go. And we want that in general in life, and that includes even the, the good things, the good Christian things. I'm amazed if you think about it, and I just think of my own life, the, the good things I'm doing, I still want something back. Right? Whether it's someone saying, you did a good job, right? or, or, or something more. We want to be acknowledged. We want to have lordship over our situation because we're oriented to think of life as serving ourselves, to want to use our life in a way that serves and benefits ourselves. So it's, it's in the midst of this, <laughs> It's the midst of this, we got, we got our passage, right? We got Jesus saying some things about the church and what he expects from his church, what he expects from those who would follow him, from, from Christians. And he says, we're to be very different. I mean, we're to be, can I say radically different, shockingly different from the world around us? I mean, Jesus speaks of, of followers of his being a people who are willing to actually give up their lives, to give them up for the sake of others, to not hold on to them, but instead to give them up even, even at the cost of comfort and convenience and luxury, <laughs> to give them up for others' benefit and not our benefit. And in fact, Jesus says, this is greatness in the kingdom of God. To the degree in which you give up your life, that the church stands out in a self-serving world by being self-sacrificing. That, that is what God is looking for. That is what it means to follow Jesus. And in verses 26 to 27, Jesus highlights what that is by using a, a very, um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a striking metaphor. We can put it that. He says in verses 26 and 27, look, here's what greatness is gonna look like among you. You must be first a servant. Verse 27, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Um, that sacrifice is seen to the degree in which Christian adopts this idea of being a slave. And you think about that, there's this, the idea of the slave. <laughs> I mean, there's no lower position in society than being a slave. I mean, out of all the things Jesus could have picked, he picks this one. To be a slave is to say, I have, I have no right to 
to any comfort or inconvenience, that I have no right to even my life. The life of the slave is given entirely for the benefit of others. There's, there's no claim or no expectation of, of reward or payment. The slave, by virtue of what that person is, is entirely about giving themselves up in service to others. And Jesus says, yeah, that, that's a good example of what I'm looking for here. I mean, this is, this is not easy teaching from Jesus, is it? I mean, this is the hard stuff. This is the part of the Bible you, you should want to skip over because of how striking it really is, especially in contrast to the world that we have. I mean, Jesus is saying, in contrast to the world that wants you to hold on to your life, if you want to follow me, I want you to be willing to give up your life, to sacrifice your life for the sake of others, for the benefit of others. It's greatness, greatness in his kingdom, marked entirely by how you do not think first and foremost of how you benefit yourself. Instead, you're actually looking for ways to lose yourself, to deny yourself for the sake of others. You know, and Jesus uses himself as an example here for, for what he's calling for. He's not asking for something that he himself doesn't do. He says, look, I mean, just consider Jesus here. Jesus is the son of God, right, which means he's God himself in human form, right? And, and he says, I want you to look to my example. And here's my example, verse 28. Verse 28. So I want you to be like a servant, be like a slave. Verse 27, 28. Just as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. I mean, Jesus, if there's only, is anyone in this universe who deserves to be served, it's Jesus. You, you look at his, his resume, you, you imagine all these people lined up, I want to get served. Jesus, I think, has to be at the top of the list. I mean, at the, to, on, the first line of the resume says, I created the universe, right? I am Lord God, I was there at the beginning, right? I enjoy infinite fellowship, infinite love. I, I am the Lord God himself. There's anyone who deserves to be served, it's Jesus. And yet, here is what we have Jesus saying. In fact, here's what the Bible in general says that God expresses himself to us, that, that, that you want to understand the, the, the purest expression of who God is, it's in Jesus, and specifically, it's in this action of Jesus, himself giving, him, him giving himself up for our sake. Verse 28, again, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is how God chooses to express himself, by giving himself up. I mean, I, I think this is one of the most distinctive things about Christianity. For those of you here, you're, you're, trying to, you're figuring Christianity out, you have questions about Christianity. The, there's all sorts of questions you could explore and, and all sorts of things you might say, I wanna know what Christians think about this or, or how they would answer this issue. And I, those aren't unimportant, but I would argue, start at the very center. And here's one of those central points. Here's, here's a, something at the very heart of Christianity. And it's this. Christianity is believing in a God who gave himself up. Who died for our sake. You don't see that in so many other religions and philosophies of the world. Even in, the, in some of the religions that speak of denial, it's denial for the sake of reaching an, an elevated state. Again, for your benefit, right? You reach a higher plane of existence. And here, it's entirely about giving yourself up, losing, sacrificing, so that others might gain. 
that you want to find God, you want to go in the direction of God, you have to travel down the road of sacrifice, the sacrifice shown most especially in Jesus Christ, giving himself up for the benefit of us so that we might be saved. And in this, I mean, it begins to help us think about a lot of different things, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus is calling us to be willing to give up choices that we have, to give up comfort and ease that we have, to, to give up the ability to make, to make certain decisions, maybe even, to have less time in certain areas. He is calling us to give up our life. And that is, I mean, there's, there's a, a challenge there to our world today, right? You think about the way our, our, our world is set up, especially our part of the world. Our part of the world is a lot about convenience and comfort. Uh, we're encouraged to go in those directions. And here we have an ethic in the Bible that, that cuts counter to that. And it, it's not just here. We have, you know, in Philippians 2.17, Paul describing himself as rejoicing, rejoicing that his life is being given in service, even though it means his life, being, means his life is involved being poured out, it says, as a drink offering. That's how he describes his life. I'm, I'm happy that I've been able to serve others, even though it means my life has been poured out. I mean, you, literally, think about it, like you're pouring out juice on the ground. I mean, it's gone, it's spilled off everywhere. And he says, that's, I rejoice that I can use my life that way, I can sacrifice my life that way. Jesus, in Luke 9, 23 to 24, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny, deny means I want this, and yet I'm saying no to it. I'm denying myself, he says. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I mean, it's a call to live a life with scars, with battle wounds, with missing limbs. It's a call to sacrifice your life. That word sacrifice really means what you think it means. There's loss there. You know, my, my wife and I, Danae, as you heard, we, we have... Well, we're both involved heavily in all sorts of types of ministries, and uh, one of our key ones, one of the ones we're especially passionate about is ministering to children, uh, to vulnerable children. And so uh, we've fostered, we fostered and adopted, we've fostered uh, multiple kids beyond that uh, through different uh, outreaches and things we do in our church. Uh, we have kids who maybe we haven't officially fostered, but they're pretty much at our house a lot on weekends. Uh, so very typically, besides our four kids, which, you know, Many of you know four kids is four kids. Uh, on top of that, we might have two, three other kids. Sometimes there's some adult tag-alongs as well. Uh, so we, we, we have a home that is often full of, of, of lots of different types of people. And so this is on top of uh, the pastoral ministry I do and all the things Danae is doing. And so people will often ask us, man, how do you all do it? That seems like a lot of work and a lot of effort. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you guys keep it all together? And uh, my answer to them is, um, we don't. <laughs> it's as hard as you think it looks. In fact, as hard as you think it is, add a couple degrees of hardness on top of it, right? That's how hard it is to manage all the different things that we manage, to do the kind of different things with all the different types of children that we find ourselves surrounded by. Um, I mean, many of you know this. I mean, Children kill routine, right? I've had some well-planned weekends, right? Some, some things set in place. And then, oh, wait a second, we've got like two or three other kids coming over, an old foster team coming to visit us. And oh, guess what, he's staying for the weekend, right? And so we look and we realize 
there is, there's loss here, there is sacrifice here. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a perfect person. I have many times thought to myself, my goodness, what is going on? There's times in which I was all set to watch my favorite football team. They needed me there in front of the TV because we all know yelling at the TV helps your team win. So I was there to yell. But then something happened. A fight broke out with two of the kids. A foster team, this happened, actually ran away for some reason. Thought, I'm taking off. And so we had to go find them. That's, that's not easy. <laughs> that's not fun. I mean, serving others in this way in the way that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's actually sacrifice. It, it means less time, less money, less comfort, and instead more inconvenience, more tiredness, more work, more chaos, more mess. It means all those things. The call to sacrifice is a call to loss and scars and wounds. It means all those different things. And yet, and yet one thing we can say for sure is that whatever we sacrifice, we always find ways in which God still uses it and reinvests it in the lives of other people. That the thing I, I, I've been fortunate enough to see and that God is fortunate enough to, to reveal as we engage in this type of life is that whatever we give up is actually not lost forever. There's a loss there but what, it's, it's a loss that's given and taken by the Lord and then reinvested in the lives of people that changes them forever. The loss of, of money, of time, of freedoms, that sacrifice is invested in people in a way that redeems and restores them and frees them from, from sin and from pain that they seem trapped in and will never break out of unless someone was able to, to break in and break them free. And that's what God is doing with what we sacrifice. He's taking it and using it for the good of others. It's a God who never wastes what's given to him. What you give up, what you give up might be found in the life of a child who now is in a safe and loving home. What you give up, and maybe it's giving up pride, right? You give up a huge chunk of your pride and you find it now in a relationship that's restored. A relationship that seemed broken, full of bitterness, and yet now it's restored. It, it might be found in a ministry that, that is poorly funded, and yet you give up some of your money, you give up some of your hours to invest and volunteer in this ministry, and now you are seeing people be helped by what you've given up. It, it might be found in the life of a, of a family member, of a, of a coworker, of a neighbor, who does not know Jesus, does not believe in God, and yet what you invest in their lives, what you sacrifice, helps them see God in a way they've never seen it before. And they begin to believe, and they begin to be changed forever. This is what God does. He takes what we give, and he invests it in lives that have eternal dividends. And, and you know, consider also this, too. Uh, consider that, that one day, all of us, We'll have to stand before our God, which means standing before Jesus. And standing before Jesus, as you imagine, you're standing before Jesus and you will have a life that you will present to Jesus, that he, he's going to see. What did you do with the life that I gave you? 
And as you place your life in his hands, what will you realize? What will you see there? You'll see nail-scarred hands, nail-scarred feet. That the God we serve retains the scars of his sacrifice. And so as you give your life to him, as he receives it, and as he looks at your life, what will he see there? The life that he holds in his nail-scarred hands. And by God's grace, we don't want him to see a life that is that's soft, <laughs> kind of flabby, safe and sheltered. It's a life with no scars or wounds on it because it's a life that was, spelt, that was spent selfishly <coughs> instead of sacrificially. It's a life that was spent entirely for yourself. No, instead, by God's grace, we want to present lives to Jesus that when he looks at them, he says, this looks like my life. He looks at your life and he sees scars and wounds on them because it's a life that's been spent. It's been given up for the sake of others. He sees a life that has the same type of self-denying, cross-carrying, sacrificial type of life that is the life of Jesus. He sees that and he looks at that and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my kingdom. That is greatness in the kingdom of God. I mean, that is greatness in his kingdom, and, and frankly, it is, it is powerful work in this present kingdom, in the kingdom of the earth, because it stands in such sharp contrast to the way the world goes. Um, I mean, we can imagine that those who interact with, with us, lives that are, that are used in this way, that are given up in this way, I mean, they'll look and they will wonder, they will ask, how do you do it? Why would you do that? You're not getting anything back. I mean, in fact, they took what you've given, and, and from what I can tell, they wasted it. <laughs> Why would you sacrifice this way? And what we've been able to say is, you know what? We, yes, it was a sacrifice. It was a huge sacrifice. And I don't see all the ways now in which it would be used, but it is used. God never wastes what's been given to him. All that we give, all that we cut out of our lives, all that we, we find removed and all the loss that we have, all of it is used by God and woven into something that will be so beautiful and so wonderful one day, well, we will be singing about it forever. Forever. That is greatness. Eternal greatness, the kind of greatness that lasts, because it's greatness in the kingdom of God, the kind of greatness that will stand out in the midst of a world that is self-seeking. And, and let me tell you this as sort of a final encouragement. You know, in many ways, in thinking about this, as you think about what this might look like, as you think of choices and habits of things that you, yes, will have to sacrifice that will leave a scar and a wound, as you think of those things, you might think, how am I going to do this? How? I don't feel like I have that much to give. Well, here's the final encouragement. We give out of what's been given to us. See, notice what we, it says there in that last verse, verse 28. Jesus sacrifices himself in order to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gives his life to ransom us. In other words, to rescue us. Because where we start off without God, without Jesus, the Bible describes us as being dead in our sins. That means you don't, you don't have much to give. You don't have anything to give. That's why Jesus gives up his life to rescue us. And then what does he do? Well, the Bible tells us now we're in Christ. We live in him. That means the life that you have 
is an infinite life. It's the life of God, the life of Jesus. And so what we give is always a loss, but we always find that loss filled back up so that we have more to give. We have an infinite storehouse of life because it's the life of Christ. We have an infinite amount to give so that more lives can be redeemed and restored than we ever thought could happen, than we ever imagined could happen. The life of Christ in us is the hope that this world needs because this is a world that, yes, is self-seeking. If you think about what happens, the more you turn in on yourself, just imagine that, sort of you, you shrivel up until you're nothing. And so many people in this world are on that track. Maybe some of you here, you are slowly eating yourself away to the point where you get to the end of your life and you realize, I used it all up. I have nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. I'm just asking you to make an exchange. Rather than having that life that the Bible describes as dead and is shriveling up, I'm asking you to have infinite life. Now, There's a responsibility with that infinite life, the life of Jesus, a responsibility to give it up for the sake of others, give it up in a way that hurts and that costs us, but a way that we will never run out of. It's an infinite life that carries on into eternity. God's life, Christ's life poured into us. Let's receive that life and then use it and see it used by the Lord in ways in ways that change families and marriages, ways that change neighborhoods and cities, ways that will change this world forever when Christ returns and he sees his church being all the things that we were created to be for his glory and the good of many more people than we can ever possibly imagine. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here together, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, for... Uh, the example we have in Scripture, and Lord, it is a hard example. <laughs> it's, it's one, Lord, that requires us to, to give up of ourselves for the sake of others. And we're not naturally oriented that way, and Lord, that's why you, you have taken that first step. You gave up your life for our sake, to rescue us, to restore and redeem us, and then to give us this same life so that now, Lord, uh, we can follow this same example, so I'll follow this same path. So I pray for, for every single life here, Lord, I pray uh, that people would maybe think very specifically, Lord, maybe some areas of their life, Lord, where they are holding on tight. Um, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to step into, Lord, uh, that, that, that word, sacrifice, that we'd be willing to take the scars and the wounds, be willing to do the things so that kids can have homes, so that relationships can be restored, so that people can know Jesus, Lord God, so that ministries, Lord God, can carry on and, and do the work they're supposed to do. And all the different ways, Lord, in which you use the things that we give up for the sake of others. Lord, I pray you would draw us in those directions. I know for some people here or today, um, they, they need to give up their dead life, <laughs> a life that they're holding on tightly to, Lord, and it's a corpse. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would give that up so instead they would come into the infinite life, the forever life of God that is found by faith in Jesus. They turn in faith to you, Lord, and and yes, to follow you, Lord, um, we need to, as the Bible says, count the cost. There's a cost to be paid. Um, but it's a cost, Lord, that we have been given infinite storehouse to pay. And one, Lord, that leads to infinite reward as we celebrate all the things that you will do forever one day. Thank you, Lord God, for what you've already done and what you will do now and what you will continue to do. Work in all these ways, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.